Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 16 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The End Times Church. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen. Good morning, class. How is everyone? Good. You ready to jump in some days of Noah? Take us in. Take us in. Well, as we uh, continue in this study on the days of Noah, I want to get into a topic uh, this morning. I'll pick up where we left off just a little bit last week. Uh, I went over some topics of, I was ending with uh, dreams versus purpose and trying to bring some information to that. But all of this is wrapped up as in the days of Noah. These times that we're in are not exactly the same times that you grew up in. You know, we're all looking for those early days, and uh, but they're past. We're in a different day now. And um, this is where we left off last week, and we'll pick up there uh, to, to expand this scriptural understanding of what's happening with us as, a, as spiritual beings, as eternal beings, and uh, for us to view ourselves as eternal uh, beings. But you know, in Romans eight twenty eight, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them are, who are called according to, and there's emphasis last week, was to His purpose. And I introduced uh, to you, uh, we talked about uh, my dreams and His purpose and uh, we went over all of that uh, understanding of how it's been used as a motivational piece uh, to follow your dreams and to have your dreams. And uh, uh, that's, that's a totally a, its own subject within itself because, um, but the way I did it just for a short concept was my dreams, his purpose, my dreams, Send to uh, tend to serve me, serve self. His purpose tends to serve others. My dreams uh, tends to have selfish ambition, and his purpose uh, tends to have ambition. Now you could argue any of those points, and uh, for the sake of teaching, I'm not looking for argument as much as I am looking for concept to help move us into a direction of the purpose of God and why we're here. I mean, this is a lot of trouble on, on God's part, don't you think, <laughs> to create the earth and to put us here and um, have all of this going on uh, with the biology, <laughs> just the biology that keep the world going is, <laughs> to me, that's a full-time job. And, uh, so, but anyway, so there's got to be more to it, and I think it's purpose. Now, now, as we move forward in this purpose, I want us to do some, we'll be doing some uh, self-analytical, uh, uh, don't, don't apply this to your neighbor or your spouse, but to yourself. If, if, you, if, if you, you might make 100 on it if you're analyzing your spouse, and you'll probably make about a 30 if you analyze yourself. So if you're, that's where we want to look at now. If we live our lives in purpose, we'll never fail. 
Now, uh, and it just so happens, our, as I said last week, our dreams and our purpose tend to be in somewhat a conflict. And we say we got to give our life to Christ. We lose ourselves in Christ. And I tried to introduce you last week to this idea of that we, what we do is we give our dreams uh, to Christ. Right? We, and as we put our dreams in Him, uh, He might go, go with some of them. Uh, some of them he might not, but it's amazing how he'll use all of that. He'll use your dreams and your your failures and your successes and your heartache, and uh, he'll use. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but for some reason we've been created as as beings of suffering. I, I know that's not what everybody wants to hear, but uh, it, there there are several things that we cannot escape, and one is suffering. We can't escape sin, suffering, and death. Those are three things. Uh, I actually learned that from Billy Graham years and years and years ago. He said there's three things we all have with us, sin, suffering, and death. And uh, when I heard him preach that sermon, probably, what, 40 years ago now or more, uh, he said those things, three things are always with us, and uh, there is a, how can I say it? Um, there's some good news to the second coming of Christ. He deals with sin, suffering, and death. Amen. Right? And, and, and that's fantastic news. And, and we're sitting in here this morning understanding that these three things, sin, suffering, and death, uh, every human has to deal with, and it's part of our life. We're always uh, hunting for the sweet spot, right? And uh, every now and then we get to the closest thing I think I've been to a sweet spot is a Cinnabon. I, there, if that don't get it done, I don't know what won't. But so now I want us just to consider something here with this with this idea. Now you should be able to tell who this character is by his coat. Yes, Joseph, coat of many colors. Now, let's look at him right quickly. Uh, his dream became his purpose, uh, literally, right? Now, that's, we say it literally happened, but it was because it's a type, it's a prophetic shadow of life. In other words, uh, Joseph had this dream. I will not go into the dream, but he had two dreams, actually. Uh, second dream, uh, he would be, all of his brothers would be coming to him, and he'd be looking after him, so to speak. So then his brothers didn't like that dream. And, and, and so by him telling his dream, it put it into motion. Now, to begin with, there was this plot against Joseph, his brothers. You know the story. Threw him in a pit and then sold him into to slavery. Uh, then, you know, you remember Potiphar's house. He went from there to Potiphar's house. Uh, his wife made a move on him. He ran uh, she told a lie on him, which got him thrown into prison. She claimed he tried to rape her or whatever. It was a lie, but nonetheless, he got thrown into prison. Now, uh, to, to see what happened there, is that not wild? This was his pathway to his purpose. It's, it's not exactly the way I would write it, right? Not only was it the pathway to his purpose, it was also the pathway to his dream. And interesting. I would not have written the story that way. Then he was the visor of Egypt, which he was the ruler in Egypt. 
Y'all know the story, Joseph. And he was there then uh, overseeing the wheat and all the grain of Egypt. He had this dream and interpreted for the Pharaoh, seven good years, seven bad years. So he interpreted and he put him over the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, then God sent his brothers to Egypt. You remember that because they ran out of food. And uh, then their family was reunited. So, so for Joseph to fulfill his purpose, God took his dream, and there's what it looks like. Right. So there, there's what it looks like. So when we have our pathway, this much I promise you. You've maybe been fighting God all the way in your life, but God's purpose will prevail. That's, that's all I can tell you. You can take every right and left and up and down you want to. You're going to end up in Egypt. And you're going to end up doing the purpose God has for you, kicking or screaming. So I'm not too worried about everybody not fulfilling their purpose because I know God's going to mash you and move you till you do. That's all. And, and we can have this much faithfulness in God. Now, you, And as you look back over your life, you can say, well, I finally got here with, with all of these distractions. Well, all of the distractions are the reason you got here. That's what got you here. And that's the reason I'm saying God's got His hand in our, the lives of a believer. And we're not... the, the here's, here's part of our failure, I guess you could say, is in our path or our journey, we think we need to understand it all. And Jesus says, you're probably not going to understand much of it, but just trust me. Have faith. Have faith in me. One reason God doesn't let us understand, it's easier for me to somebody, see somebody else's path than it is my own. Prophetically speaking, I can see other people's paths. Pretty easy, but my own is you, you can't hardly see it. And had I seen it all, number one, I wouldn't have taken it. <laughs> I wouldn't have taken it. And number two, it doesn't require faith because I can see it. So God withholds understanding a lot of times, most of the time, because He's asking us to exercise and trust and in faith, even though we demand understanding. So uh, so what I want us to do is to take Joseph, his life, his dream, his purpose, and uh, I'm going to call this my dreams, his purpose, in the end times church. Because as in the days of Noah, this is where we are. We're in this end times uh, church here. Now, there are all kinds of books trying to teach us about the end times church. I mean, if you want to make a good living these days, write you a good book on end times or when the Lord's coming back or whatever. You know, that's, that's what we're really into. And I want to hit a few of the things that we're into here. Uh, the word's eschatology. It's expectations of the end of the present age, human history, or of uh, the world itself. We call this uh, the end times. Um, now, Or you can call it the end of the age, whatever. But this is what the word uh, eschatology means. What kind of eschatology did the disciples have was my question. Okay. If we got this eschatology, we've got all these books, got all these ideas, there's one thing I can say about uh, the prophetic. If you, if you have a, it's okay for me to stand up and say, well, this is the way it appears to me. This is the way it looks to me. Uh, if I stand up here and say, well, this is what's going to happen, uh, the only thing I can you can mark down, that's probably not what's going to happen. In, in other words, a prophetic teacher can give his opinion or this is what it looks like to me uh, with what I feel like the Holy Spirit is guiding me in. 
And uh, this gospel of Jesus Christ is so personal, uh, you got to get your own. Uh, I can teach and say something. You can have a witness of it. You can own that. But still, it has to come on a, a personal a personal uh, experience with the Holy Spirit when we walk into truth. So test everything I say. So I wanted to know, all right, what kind of eschatology did the disciples have? It's in Matthew 24. We've read the scripture in another type context, but go with me on this one. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things, but verily I say unto you, there shall not be one left here, one stone upon another uh, that shall not be thrown down. Now, you've got to understand something. That is not what the disciples wanted to hear. That was not their... They were looking for Jesus to go in there and set up camp and rule and reign from Jerusalem. Right? This is not... This was not in their... This was not their eschatological viewpoint, you see. This, yeah, so... And so here I put this little thing. Uh, their end time expe expectations were shattered. They were looking for Jesus to fulfill the divinic, the Abrahamic covenant, rule and reign. For, and we were going to get rid of all this crowd in Jerusalem, these bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees. We we're going to kick them out and, and put our crowd in, and Jesus is going to run things. Well, when he said this, they're like, we're well, going to tear up the very, what's the, what's the deal here? So I know their expectations, Jesus shattered them right, right there. So has anybody had their expectations shattered lately? Yeah. There's a, oh, now, now just keep this in mind. Uh, Jesus was teaching them that they did not have to understand but to trust. So this pathway that God has, there's, how do you know you're on a pathway that God set before you? You'll have little understanding, but it requires a lot of faith. That's how you know. Matter of fact, all of the accumulation of the evidence is pointing in another direction. Can you hear me? But it requires faith. So here Jesus tells the disciples, hey, we're going to tear this building down, boys. We're not using this one. Shattered them. Wasn't what they were looking for. Now, in verse 3 it says, And he said upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us what shall these things tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? Now that as I was looking, I'm trying to say, okay, what was their eschatology? What were they looking for? And then right in the beginning, get go here, Je Jesus shatters this thing about the temple. That that caught him off guard. But then I this caught me off guard. Uh, then tell us when shall these things be? Shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world. Now the problem with that, I don't understand how they asked that question, sign of thy coming. They didn't know he's going. Right. So I'm asking a question, well, how did they come out? Or the end of the world. They were looking for Jesus to uh, come in here and we're going to ramp this thing up and we're going to take it by the horns and we're going to run this show. But here they had these questions. So I know there had to be more conversations Jesus was having to them than has been penned. Because I, there's, they should be asking that question. Uh, why and how did they ask these questions? What is the greatest end time thing mentioned most in the Bible? So as I, as I was seeing that, I knew Jesus had to have some other conversations with them. We're, we haven't been given privy to, but he, he started sharing some things with them. 
And so then I, I was wondering, what is the greatest end time thing mentioned most in the Bible? What were they looking for? What did Jesus say? Now we've got all these things that are happening and we're going to hunt for it here right quickly. We got the signs in the heavens, global disaster, the rise of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. Uh, if you write a book on any one of those things, you can probably have a bestseller. But that, that's what we're looking for. Uh, now let's look at global disasters right quickly. Uh, that is a uh, rendition uh, of Mount Vesuvius. You remember that? It erupted in A.D. 79, destroying Pompeii, killing more than 11,000, 100 times stronger than the bombings of Japan. That's a pretty big shaking, we, we could say. Now, this is interesting to me. Uh, John the Revelator was alive then. It seems he would have mentioned it or something. He doesn't have to. But I was, gosh, it seemed like he would have mentioned that to me. I mean, that's, that was a big deal. That, that, was, that was huge. He, he didn't have to, but just look at a few other things. Uh, 1906, the earthquake, magnitude of 8.6 in Chile. I don't know if how many remember that. I barely do. I was a young man, but I do remember. People uh, killed by earthquakes last year was 267,000. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, I think it's the last 10 years. Yeah, 267,000. Uh, people that were killed from extreme temperatures. Now, for those that, are, that hang on to global warming, extreme temperatures mean cold and hot. Okay. Uh, 74,000. Uh, floods, 50,000. Storms, 27,000. Droughts, uh, 20,000. So, we, we've, now that's, I just picked out a few things there. But there's global disasters all the time, is what I'm saying. For for since the beginning of time, or this since since this earth walked into its fallen state, we've been having global disasters. Now I know we're talking about end times now, but I'm looking for the greatest sign uh, that the disciples were warned about, that we're warned about. What is the greatest sign? Because when I start looking at all these natural disasters, I mean, I even got a thing uh, that monitors earthquakes daily. If you want to see something that's enjoyable, uh, I've got this thing, and, and uh, I'll sit there and look at it for a long time. There's one over there and there. And it's amazing how many earthquakes are uh, on, on the earth every day now. It's just shocking. And so there's no doubt in my mind that uh, there's more earthquakes happening, and it sure does appear like it to me, but then I had to remember, well, they didn't start recording these that long ago. So, you know, who knows? My point is global disasters have always been with us. Do we look at them as signs? The Bible tells us to, yes. But we want to be, we got to be careful here, okay? Uh, wars and uh, rumors of wars, you know, that's part of it. We've had them. Now, look at this one. Are we living in the greatest time of war? Well, uh, Mongol conquest, uh, 1206, they killed 60 million. That's a pretty good little war, wouldn't you say? I mean, that. I just picked out some that we would know and some bigger ones. But, uh, I mean, you know, that's back in 1200. World War I, you had 50 million. That's a pretty good crowd. World War II, you had 70 million total. Uh, that's in 39 to 45. Uh, my point is these things shouldn't shake us. Here's, I'm, I'm trying to make a, a point of this stuff's been with us since this earth has taken a turn, and uh, and since 
mankind rebelled against God. But even though the Bible tells us to look at these things and we're to look at them, but there's something in the Bible that's greater than all these. That, that, that Jesus was telling, he, he went with his 12 and he said, okay. They said, when are we going to know this? Is, when are you, are you coming and when's the end of the age? And he said, okay, let's, let's, go, let's go for the big one. Now these things we know have been going on, I just showed for the last 2,000 years. There is a greater sign. And this is what, when I saw all those things and I was going through the research of it and it's been with us, and I, I had to say, well, what is the big one? And uh, here's the greatest signs, Matthew 24, 4. And Jesus answered and said it to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. The, the greatest warning Jesus gave the twelve was deception. Greater than earthquakes, greater than wars, greater than famine. The great one is deception. So that kind of got my attention when I started seeing, uh, I mean, this is where Jesus, he kicked them off right here with this one. I said, okay, let's go ahead and do it. Here, here, here it is. Deception is the number one thing that is mentioned most in the Bible in the end times. Isn't that interesting? That is so interesting to me. Deception. So it's, it's very important that we make distinction so we can tell truth. Now, I want to go into a little bit right quickly uh, on how deception works. Now, I'm, I'm going to try something. Y'all go along with me here. We'll see if we can accomplish it or not. I'm not really sure. Now, the fruit of deception is apostasy. It, in other words, deception has a fruit Apostasy. And, and uh, here, here's, here's what it means, apostasy. An act of refusing to continue to follow, to obey or recognize a religious faith, abandonment of a previous loyalty or a defection. So, so Jesus was saying there's a deception. Beware of deception. Deception has a fruit. It causes you to defect. It, it, it causes us, so you can understand why Jesus said, okay, here, here's the big one. Uh, the big one is, is deception. Those will come in to deceive. Now, I don't, any of us don't necessarily mind a fight if we know who our enemy is. But when it's deceived or deception, it comes in and we don't even know it's coming in. Right? Wow. And it just doesn't seem fair to me. But there again, when's, when's, the, when's Satan ever been fair? This is a real battle. This is a real war. This is, this is not a fake war, even though a lot of stuff is fake. The war's not fake. So keep this in mind of what does deception, uh, if I am deceived about any little thing, what will, what will it do? It'll cause me to depart from the faith in that area. That is so scary to me. I don't know about y'all, but that just... Because I'll tell you what, I give myself a lot of slack. <laughs> I think my Christian faith will absorb a lot until I did this study. <laughs> now I'm wondering if I'm not going to have to 
shore up a few things here. I'm going to have to tweak it on in here a little bit. Now, um, now let's just look at, with this in mind, apostasy as a sign of the end times. Matthew 24, 11 says, And many false prophets shall arise, shall rise, and shall do what? Deceive many. And because iniquity, or lawlessness it is, shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So we see here that Jesus goes on to say in the same setting, he says, false, many, many false prophets will arise and shall deceive many. Now, I don't want to be in that many. I don't want to be many, right? So he gives us this warning. Luke 18, the last part of verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So Jesus asks a question, which, which gives us this idea that it's going to be pretty slim. That's the idea it gives us. So uh, just forget once saved, always saved, or you can be lost. Or Just forget all that for a little bit. The question is, do you feel like Satan's trying to rob you of faith? The answer is yes. Now, we automatically go to the conclusion, well, does that mean I'll be lost? Just forget it. I'm telling you, forget it. Go with what you know. He's trying to rob me of my faith. Go with what you know. I know that. I know he's trying to rob me of my faith, and I wonder why is he trying to rob me of my faith? What it, what's the issue? Why would he? He has to see me as some threat or he wouldn't try to rob me. He doesn't want faith. He's too stuck on himself. He's not interested. Now let's watch this thing work. First Timothy. Now the Spirit speaketh expressively. You see that? That means emphatically that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. I don't like that. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I don't like that. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Can a Christian's conscience be seared? Yeah, according to that verse. According to that verse... Our conscience can be seared like with a hot iron. This is talking to a believer here. All right, let's look at it. And then what's the, what's the fruit of it? You'll depart from the faith. Did you know you can f- depart from the faith in areas of the faith and think that you haven't departed? You think it's good. It's masked as the faith. You, we think we're being benevolent or we're giving mercy when the truth is we're departing. But it's hidden, it's stealth, it's in this mask. The best thing you can do to somebody is tell them the truth, whether they like it or not. If you love somebody, the best thing you can do is tell them the truth. Now I want you to see this. This church was uh, first in wanting to understand uh, end time events. This is why, now that, that was that, um, let me back up there. And, and when he wrote this to Timothy, they were very, the, what was going on in the churches was all of this end time talk. And that's where you got First, Second Thessalonians. All this, I mean, they were supposed to be, and that's, that's what Paul wrote them about. Uh, so we see that they were wanting to understand end time events just like us. This is why, these two epistles were written, First and Second Thessalonians. They were written 
because they were asking about the end times and what was going on. Now, in 2 Thessalonians, it says this, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there do what? Come a fallen away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself uh, that, he, that he is God. So we've got this deception uh, thing going on, which will cause a, a falling away. Now you can say, well, Alan, does that mean you're lost? Or say, I don't know. The only thing I know is you fall away. And the best thing, to, if you don't want to fall away, get away from the edge of the cliff. <laughs> That's all I know. You won't have to worry about falling away. Uh, now look at this. It is a common thing for the early epistles to address this major problem of deception. And, and so you, we start, when you start seeing the deception and why of all the teachings... Deception was the issue of the end times. Now, every time it is addressed, it is with a warning about deception will soon try to creep in. Deception leads to the death of discernment. Can you hear that? Deception, you can see it, leads to the death of discernment. So I can see then, all right, the enemy doesn't want me to be able to discern good from evil, uh, What's God, what's not God? So how does stealthy, how does a stealthy demon uh, get our discernment? How, 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 does he, how, how does he get it? It's through deception. If you can't discern, we should be discerning better every day. That's what we should be doing. But we see that deception is running up. You are led into a state of not being sensitive to important things. I know a lot of people say, well, let's separate church and state and let's separate this. No, the only thing I can tell you is you're sticking your head in the sand. That's all I can tell you. And, 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 and what happens, you're in, you're in a state of not being sensitive to important things. That's, that means you've been deceived. Your country's important. But when you want to say, well, I'm not going to think about that, you're just not wanting to be, uh, you, you don't want to be sensitive to important things. We, we can turn off what we don't like. Yeah. And, and the Scriptures is telling us, turn it on. Here, whoa, look, look. And I'm going to give you, a, if, I, if I get on with it here. The church in the end times runs the risk of being focused on all the wrong things, therefore making it lukewarm. Wow. Come on. That's what makes us lukewarm. We're focusing on all of the wrong things. Now, we're focusing on things, which appears to be good. Um, but, see, you see, God's called us into something greater than being good. He's, he's calling us into obedience to His Word. It's just, obedience to His Word is different than being good, you see. Now... The end time church will be trapped by what it is focusing on. The end time church will be trapped on what it's focusing on. Now, I want to take us on a little thing here. Deception is a virus in perception. In other words, if you've been deceived, it'll change your perception. It changes how you see things. You got a, you got a spiritual virus. Uh, there is a vaccine against this virus. It's called the blood of Christ. 
good dose of it will get it. But you, but you got to stay with it. Deception is a virus uh, perception. I want to show us something here. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. So it's, it's, that verse talking about perception. That's what it's talking about. So I want us to get into the perceived, into perception. Uh, I want to try to get into this just a little bit. Uh, what we are focused on allows us to be easily deceived. Now, I'm going to give you more understanding. What we are focused on will distract us from what is going on around us. In other words, we're, we'll be focused on something, and that, I mean, so, so a lot of us, we have to be focused on. It's not that we're not. But whatever you're focused on, we tend to, to be distracted from what's going on around us. It's, uh, uh, most people believe uh, that they can multitask 10 or 12 things. And the truth is, I mean, I've talked with Dr. Trevor Craig on that one. The honest truth is you can't do but one thing at a time. But you think you can multitask. That probably comes under the pride banner. Now, we can switch from things real quickly. Yeah. You can switch. But if you got 12 plates on a stick and you're trying to keep them going, you can't shake them all at the same time. You, you, you just can't do it. So, so you've you got to understand how, how we're made. We tend to focus. We can focus on one thing at a time, but whatever we're focused on, we're focused on. That's what we'll see. And we tend to not see other things that are around it. The reason I'm saying this, this is the way the enemy works, if you're with me. The enemy is constantly trying to get us to focus on something so we don't see what's going on around it. Now, we can't improve that, but let me show it to you. Now, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to do a little something. Now, some of you maybe know this little card trick. Can I do a card trick in church, preacher? Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to do a card trick in church. And uh, now we're going to move through this little thing real quickly. I just want to make a point with it. That's also, now, I'm going to show you something here. You will have five seconds to make a choice. Concentrate and say the name of the card three times to yourself. Don't say it out loud, please. So I'm going to throw up uh, uh, some cards here. I'm going to give you five seconds, and you just pick one. You visualize, you pick a card, all right? Five seconds, and I'm going to count as we do it. One, two, three, four, five. Pick one card. Now, everybody got your card. Yeah. All right. Yeah, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove, out of all the people who are in here, I'm going to remove your card. All right, you ready? Is it gone? Raise your hand if it's gone. All right, that's everybody in here. How did everybody pick the same card? <laughs> I'm asking you to ask yourself the question. How did I remove the card? Now, did I remove your card? We tend to remember and operate on what we consciously place our attention on. 
All right, you placed your attention on the card. I'm just, I'm showing you how deception works, all right? You placed your attention. All right, then I threw it up, and I removed your card. Everything else, our automatic brain reacts, uh, reactions take over from stored memory. I didn't word that right. Everything else. Oh, yeah, I did. We tend to remember to operate on what we consciously place our attention on. Everything else, our automatic brain or our subconscious reacts, the reactions take over from the stored memory. In other words, you saw your card and you saw the cards that are around it, but your focus was on one card. And watch this. The prophetic eye sees a bigger picture. In other words, when we're looking at the world, we're looking at the Scripture, we're looking at all of this. The prophetic eye, you, you can see something, but the prophetic eye forces itself to see a bigger picture. Prophetic eye will see five cards, not one card. See, but we're focused on one, but we can't. Now, now, now look here. It sees all the cards have been removed and replaced. That's good. How, how do I remove all of your cards? I removed them all and put four different ones up there. So you, you'll think, wow, how do you know it's my car? You have just been deceived, is my point. And we'll sit in amazement. We'll have, so here's my point. In deception, the enemy removes the foundation of the argument to deceive you. We didn't even know it got removed. Go ahead and take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses. Take this out. Take that out. Da -de -da -de -da. Take it all out. That means something. You're being deceived. That's what it means. Deception will take place and you'll think it's a miracle or some great prophetic gift I might have, which I don't have. But my point is to understand deception does not have all the information. But the biggest thing is it's removing. Now, let me, I think I said it like this. The prophetic eye is trained by the Word of God. So I can't see, but one, I can't see all five cards there, to be honest with you. I, 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 if I let me study it long enough, I could. But the point being is I can't see. So I've got to have something in me that tells me the truth. Now, the truth is all the cards were removed. So I could create a new set of cards and make me look like I'm a prophet and could take your card out. Now, can I keep, can I go with me here? Deception is stealth in action. It changes the foundation upon which a thought process begins to accomplish a changed perception of truth. The reason the Word of God is important, when you see the Word of God being taken out of it, if the Word of God's taken out of your heart, you are being deceived. That's just the way it is. You're being deceived. You maybe don't like it. You maybe don't understand it. But I am telling you that the Word of God is the, should be our foundation of all discussions. And when you take the Word of God out of the foundation of the discussion, anything goes. 
I can make you believe anything. Make you believe anything. The only constant you have in any discussion is the Word of God. Never change the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's, 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 it's a constant. So the first thing we start learning about deception is it's trying to change the foundations in which a discussion is taking place. Are you with me? All right. Now, this is kind of hidden. It's stealthy. I'm just trying to somehow bring it to our attention. The human mind will suppress information we determine is unnecessary. That's what we do. The human mind suppresses information we determine uh, is unnecessary. I have been in a constant part of my remaking is trying not to suppress information that I think is unnecessary. That's the reason that one's up there, because that one's me. I, were, it, I did not do that. I did not make high grade marks in school. I pay. I made it by. But you want to know why? It's because I would suppress information that I thought was unnecessary. The Lord showed me my problem. Isn't that interesting? One that I couldn't learn it. To me, it just wasn't necessary. That's an attitude problem. Can somebody say amen? That's, say, say that's a blind spot. Right? Because I found myself, I can read Scripture, I can read a lot of things. I don't have any problem comprehending it. But if I think it's unnecessary, I won't even take a snapshot picture of it. It's just cut off. So, I've been in this quest since Revelation of who I am is understanding when I want to cancel something because I think it's not necessary. Uh, somebody can walk up, up to you before you leave church today and want a conversation. You're like, oh no, here we go. You're deeming that unnecessary. You're not going to hear what you need to hear. That's if you believe God's orchestrating every, every uh, step on your pathway. So we've got this human thing within us that if we don't think something necessary, we'll just cut it off. You can come in here and you say, I don't like the worship or whatever. That's unnecessary. I'll just cut it off. I don't like preaching. I'm, I'm just going to cut it off. Well, guess what? You can cut it off. But that is not what needs to happen. God is asking us so that we're not deceived to turn on. I want to see five cards. I don't want to see one. I want to see five cards to the point that I know, hey, they're all gone. So, well, Adam, you can't do that. Yeah, you can. Uh, of course, five is pushing it. I'm going to show you that here in just a minute. Four you can do. The human mind can only address four or five pieces of information at any one moment. You can do that. We can expand ourselves out. Uh, uh, the, the world knows this. I'll show you. Telephone numbers are in groups of threes or fours. Right? 828, 850, and then four. Why, why is it like, you ever put the number without the halfens in there, and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> why is that done? It's done on purpose. There's people in places, no, the whole human brain, you can't comprehend over three or four numbers at a time. Maybe five. There's a few exceptions. I am not one of them. How about your credit card? Four numbers, four numbers, four numbers, four numbers. Why, why is it like that? Why don't you just give a string of numbers? Because you'll come there making a mistake because you can't comprehend but three or four or five numbers at a time. 
I'm just, you just need to accept how you are. Okay, that's all I'm asking. Here's another credit card, same way. Look at look at all of these things that are communicating this in sets of threes or fours. Every now and then you'll get a five, not very often. There's a there's a reason for that. So that's my whole point there. All right, how did I remove uh, your card a few slides ago? I changed the foundation of the conversation. Conversation was five cards. I changed the foundation of that whole conversation, and I looked like a genius. Point B. The first step in deception is you have to change the foundation of the conversation. If you're in a, a conversation of, of disagreement or even debate, stay on your foundation. Deception's always trying to change it. I did not really know the correct answer, so I changed the foundation to the conversation so it would appear I had the correct answer. I'm sure all y'all got that the first time I read it. I did not really know the correct answer. So when you're talking with people and the enemy's got all this mess going on, you know all the gender stuff that's going on now. I mean, some of us is so dumb, I feel embarrassed to carry on a conversation. Do y'all, does anybody else or just me? I feel embarrassed to carry on a conversation. And people look at you like you're supposed to carry on the conversation. This is normal. I'm like, this isn't not normal. This isn't not normal, somebody. Don't try to make this normal. This is not normal. So I'm carrying on a conversation that I'm right embarrassed about, and you're saying it's normal. You're changing the foundation. You're trying to make me feel like this is the foundation. No, it's not. It is not the foundation of the conversation. When you change that, it's called deception. If you want the rest of this conversation, you're going to have to come back next week. Deception's a big deal. Uh, if you want signs of the end times, it's deception. We'll be talking more about that uh, next week. The reason I'm not that excited about this uh, message and this teaching is it because it convicted me so. And... Uh, on how I have been deceived. You know, it's amazing. I think it's in all of us. We, we, want, we want to make everybody acceptable, no matter where everybody is. Now, we're confusing love with acceptance. Right. We can love everybody, but it doesn't mean my behavior is acceptable to God. Come on. If I can love you just the same, you can love me. But it, and now the reason we tend to continue on in incorrect behavior is because we've been deceived. This is deception. I'm going to get into more of that next week. Uh, leave your cards at home. I will provide the cards. Uh, thank you. All right, let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you. I thank you for this day, oh God. And I ask and pray, Lord, if there's anything I've said I shouldn't have said, I pray it'll fall to the ground. If there's anything that I've said that's of you, bringing us revelation for understanding, to understand your word, your will, your ways, I ask and pray, O oh God, that it would be quickened to our hearts. Forgive us, O oh God, where we've been deceived, where we've accepted deception. We've all been tempted and we've all failed. So, Lord, I pray that you'll show us our failures, that we can repent, that we might be on the path of your purpose. Be with us this day in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.